0: My parents divorced and my father really just left when I was around five. And I think that type of experience in a child's life, for me, it just, none of it made sense. It doesn't make sense. I have this father, he's somewhere, he's not here. He doesn't want to talk to me. He doesn't want to be with us. I think that I have it in perspective now. I know there are much worse conditions people grow up in, but for me, you know, I've also learned to say pain is pain and you have to honor the the pain you have and so it's just a very it was just a turbulent time and we struggled with finances and we moved a lot and we had a couple of stepfathers in there and it just was someone growing up who I think naturally wanted to be successful, wanted to be happy, the conditions were difficult in my earlier years to to see that or to achieve that.
1: Hey my friends, my name is Nishant and welcome to another episode of the Nishant Girk Show. This is a podcast about helping you live a fulfilled life and my job on this show is to invite the world-class experts to extract the practices, routines and habits to help you live a fulfilled and abundant life. Every Friday, I share a newsletter which has the latest podcast updates and I also include two to three new things I am currently learning that can be any new book, any documentary or just anything. You can find the newsletter link at https colon slash and today's guest is Christy Rowe. Christy is a visionary seasoned healthcare experience strategy leader with demonstrated success in developing and working on quality service improvement and organizational resilience programs, covering the hierarchy from top to bottom in an ever-changing clinical and HR environment. She is skilled in collaborating and influencing cross-functional teams, interacting with executives and serving people from all layers of society professionally and fostering teams that support the transformation in an organization's experience strategy. Christy holds a Bachelor's Degree in Industrial Organizational Psychology from the University of Minnesota and a Master's Degree in Applied Psychology from New York University. In this episode, Christy shares how it was like to grow up without the physical presence of father, how to build personal resilience model, her first day of job on the day of 9-11, how to handle difficult conversations with a friend or with anybody and much much more. Without further ado, please enjoy this wide ranging conversation with Christy Rowe. Christy, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you. I'm just thrilled to be talking with you.
1: And this is my honor to have you on the show. And I'm having so many questions right now in my mind, which direction to go. Multiple directions are popping up in my mind. So I'm wondering if we could start with this question. If you are in a social gathering and somebody asks you, Christy, what do you do? Then how would you respond?
0: I I share that I I work in service of elevating the experiences human beings have in healthcare. And that's the human, the the patients, and also particularly the the care providers. And I get to do that in a number of different ways. And I have for many years, but it's all centered around uh, healthcare, the sacred space that it is, and just helping to make it better for those who engage with it.
1: What was your desire to work in the healthcare industry?
0: You know, I don't think it was a long-term plan for me. I I mean, I knew I would be some sort of helper in life. And that's based on some, you know, earlier experiences I had, but I, I, I got my master's degree in applied psychology from NYU. And I had thought that I would steer more towards maybe community work, maybe some research. I, I, I wasn't quite sure, but I, when I graduated, I needed a job, right? <laughs> so I, <laughs> I got a job and I, because I I couldn't rub two nickels together after that experience at NYU. So I got a job and my first job I got where someone would hire me was at Jersey City Medical Center as a adolescent behavioral therapist. And so that experience was very impactful, and day one I knew I would always have 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 you know be in the healthcare space. It just you know for for many reasons, but it just it just struck me so much the need, the sacredness of healthcare, the people who serve in healthcare. I was just overwhelmed by them and and their intrinsic motivation to serve, and i overwhelmed. I was overwhelmed by the the patients and families who who needed the services. And I just I just have it sort of on a pedestal, I guess you could say.
1: I'm curious to ask you about your first job. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Was it on
0: 9-11? It was you're so good. It was it was so my first day of work was on 9-11 in New York City and I was, you know, going to the hospital. And so Yes, I definitely, I, I know how much that experience formed, you know, so much of, of what I've done. It just, it it was just, you know, for everyone, it was, you know, just one of the most human moments I think we've ever had. And to be inside of a hospital day one, it, it was just, was just an incredible experience.
1: Could you talk to us more about your lessons and learning from 911? I mean from your first day of your job on the day of 911.
0: Yeah, so I, you know, it's funny. I I I was heading out and I lived in Brooklyn and to get to Jersey City, you had to go to the World Trade Center and catch a PATH train to get to Jersey City. And so and because I was in the adolescent behavioral health space, those programs don't start until later in the day. So I wasn't supposed to get there till ten thirty. But being excited and nervous and all the things you are in your first day of a new job, I I left you know incredibly early. So I was actually right you know outside the trade center when the first plane hit, and I thought I, it's amazing how it all played out. But it. I just kept, I, I, it, it didn't really hit me as, as now that I know a lot about trauma. Sometimes you're just sort of, it, it, everyone has a different moment when it it really hits them what's going on. I, I was in autopilot thinking, well, I must get to work. <laughs> How am I going to get there now? That's literally what I was thinking. And which is crazy because i had also worked up on the 102nd floor of the World Trade Center during my time at NYU. So I had to wonderful friends up there uh, who became my like family to me. But I, I, it's just, again, I, I don't judge myself for my response. It was what it was. And I just thought I, I need to get home and I need to get my car. So I got back to Brooklyn. And by the time I got back to Brooklyn, everything was really shut down. And, and that's when, you know, the impact, it, it really started to hit me what was what was happening. And I lived right on the edge of Brooklyn and I could go to my roof and I just watched the day unfold. And you know it it and I felt so badly that I wasn't at work still because I thought they you know they need they need people, but i i, I could not get there on that day, so the next day on September twelfth, I set out you know very, very early, and it took me you know almost four hours. They were running limited paths from you know the midtown station in New York to Jersey and so I had to walk across the Brooklyn Bridge, walk through Lower Manhattan, you know, get up to the path and then, you know, get on, get to Jersey City and then walk, you know, to the hospital. So it took me a tremendous amount of time. And when I got there, I I thought about I was so struck by the people who were working there. I just thought, look at them. They not only did they get here, they were I, I experienced them as just being so on, so ready. So engaged, living their purpose. I, I just was so struck by it, and uh, I was also just so struck by then the patients who were coming to the hospital. Meaning, in the days after nine eleven, if you lived there, you know that there were there were people with who were missing loved ones, and they were go- they were literally going to hospitals because the, the the thinking was, oh, people are in hospitals, you know, people. You know they're they're they' you know they didn't know that so very few in the early days were actually being able to go to a hospital that they're, that you know that that people were surviving. So people thought, you know, hey, i'm I'm going to go check the hospitals to see if I can find my loved one." And so because I was new and because I was expendable and because I was in behavioral health, my new leader said, "Hey, they want to bring a team down to help with some of these families who are looking for their loved ones." can you go down and help with this? And essentially, I just was there for comfort. I was there to help share information. I remember I was paired with this amazing administrator who just was so fantastic with these families and I just was in awe of her. But so, yeah, I mean, I just remember standing you know, at the door and Jersey City Medical Center was kind of up on a hill and I remember you know, repeatedly after they got their information, I would walk them down the steps and sometimes I'd hold their hand. And, and it just was, it just, again, I, I can't, it was, it was just the most powerful experience I've had in my life. And it, it wasn't just that day, it was the days, the weeks, the years that followed where I just felt a great sense of purpose around helping people in pain and who were going who who were experiencing trauma and I realized about myself that I was I was okay with that meaning I could be with people in very dark moments in their life and be of service and that was just very impactful for me so that's and that just led to a host of other great experiences
1: I would like to read a small paragraph from your article that you wrote. It was literally 9-11 in New York City. I was set to begin my career at a hospital right outside of lower Manhattan as an adolescent behavioral health therapist for a partial hospitalization program. I was thrilled. I remember leaving my apartment in Brooklyn and noticing the beautiful day. I was so excited for my career and all that lie ahead. Mm-hmm. Christy, what were you excited about?
0: You know, I felt so proud. You know, I did not, I mean, my story earlier in life was not that I was going to, you know, for many years, it wasn't even that I'd maybe get, get to college, let alone, you know, go to a program like NYU for, for graduate school and then, you know, be embarking on, it was sort of like an I did it moment. Like I did it. I I, I, I made this happen. And I I just was very proud. I was very excited. You know, it just for me, it was just a huge sense of accomplishment that day, years and years in the making. So that's, that's a lot of how I started that morning, which is just fascinating when I think about where that day went.
1: And what lessons did you learn from that experience that have stayed or that might have stayed with you right now?
0: I think I learned that you know the the moments I, I guess I think I, I what I learned was to lean in when at times I might feel afraid right like I I remember that day even 9-11 I I just thought I need to do something and I walked over the Brooklyn Bridge to see if I could help and someone stopped me and said you know you, you can't I said no I'm I'm Sort of bibbed. I said, "No, I'm, 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 I'm a therapist. I can help." <laughs> and they let me through, which is crazy. And but I, I, and I, I couldn't really do anything. I mean, but I, 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 I feel the whole experience was about me, you know, leaning in to fear and trying to help. And and that's I think been a theme, you know, throughout my career as a result of that. I think I also learned again. Just I have this foundational respect for healthcare, seeing sort of the the role it played in the community, how it was sort of the center, how it was a place where people could come and gather in a time of distress. And so I, you know, that really stayed with me. And then finally I think I just I I I from that experience, I just put caregivers and patients in a place of, wow, you know, they just they just deserve such incredible experiences with one another. And you know whether I'm a clinician providing services or working on a more organizational space. That's that's going to be my focus.
1: Could you give us any example from your personal life where you would have applied these lessons?
0: Well, I mean, there's there's there's. I'm going to have a hard time now thinking of one, but I I I will tell you that if there's you know let's say there's a a, a concern or a problem, I I tend to. Proactively go after it, or proactively address it, versus being some kind of sitting and watching it play out. And sometimes that backfires on me, by the way. But I, I, I tend to, you know, if I sense something, I'm like, nope, let's let's you know let's let's address it. Whether it's a difficult conversation with a colleague or a friend, you know, I, I can think of recently, I've I've had a little tension with a friend of mine, and I just very proactively said, we we need to talk and And, you know, and and it was, and I left that experience going, well, I might've wanted to have talked and that might be my path or my, my style. I don't think it was hers, you know, where she's more, I'm going to wait and see this play out and let this play out. So again, it's, it's tough to give a specific example, but I think it comes out a lot in just how I've led my life, the choices I've made around my career. I've, I'm not afraid to make a leap. And I think in general, Conversations I have to have personally or professionally, I just often say, you know, I've I've had most, you know, some of the most difficult conversations I'll have in my life, Uh, you know, and so I I tend to not be nervous about 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 conversations about situations. It's like it's 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 good. So I think it gave me a level of confidence, and you know, I can I can handle a lot that that might come at me.
1: You actually gave an example, difficult conversation example with your friend. Could you talk to us more about that if you don't mind?
0: Yeah, no, I, so, you know, I just think as we get older, so I'm, you know, I have two kids and I, my friendships are very important to me. They always have been because I, you know, earlier in life, I didn't have the best, the best family situation. So my friends have always been like, I call them my fingers, like they're, they're critical. You know, I think uh, we just, friendships go through seasons and, you know, there's just at times, you know, uh, because my friends are so important to me, I'm really willing to advocate for them, figure out what's going on, you know, try to make sure that there is intention or friction. And, you know, this is just a, a situation where I think we're, we've grown apart and I'm trying to, to do what I can to, to let, let this person know how important she is to me. And, but you know, it's, 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 I I just like to leave all of my relationships saying I did everything I could. Right. Like I, I, and I feel good about my part. I feel, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of how I handled that. I was, I showed courage. I showed love. I showed caring. And if I do that, then I, you know, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with whatever, whatever ends up happening.
1: Difficult conversations require a lot of courage and vulnerability and sometimes I struggle with that as well because you want to keep that friendship, that love, you don't want to let it go. So it's difficult, I can understand. I'm curious to ask you, what advice would you give to somebody who wants to improve their difficult conversations, how to go with the right mindset and with the right intentions?
0: That's a great question. I, I think for me it's it's a couple of things. I think one, it's really being very self-aware in life. And and I've worked a lot on this. And so because I I believe I'm self-aware, and with that comes with with self-awareness comes being able to be in the space of not knowing. Like I'm I I I am I'm aware of myself. I'm I'm you know, I know what my buttons are, if you will. I know what my triggers are, if you will. And, and with that, I think it, what's very um, important to balance that is being able to be in the space of, but I don't know it all. And I definitely avoid being in the place of, of I'm right. I talk about my, how I'm experiencing something or how, what my perception is versus this is, you know, what you did to me, which is, you know, what I might've done earlier in life. And I find if you enter conversations sharing your intent, which is, you know, in this case of a friend, you're very important to me. Our friendship is sacred. I, I'm hoping we can have a conversation that will make us even stronger. If you start any conversation with 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 the goal, I think you can say anything. You know, professionally, I I have to have lots of tough conversations, and you know, I I will often start them by saying, you know, I'm. You know, listen. We, I'd I'd love to have a conversation with you, and please know I'm, I'm just more committed to your happiness and success than I am to my own comfort. And when you start something like that, and you say that, and you just get that up and out, you know, you're acknowledging that it's uncomfortable for you, but you're telling them what you're that that you you care for them, and that your your goal is their their happiness and their success. And and then again, I think you can really it, it 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 amplifies their listening and perhaps, you know, brings down some, you know, feelings of defensiveness that might be there. So the, those, those are some tips that I have around difficult conversations and they've, I, it's there. I, I still get that feeling for sure. I get up and I look at my calendar and I say, Oh, I have that talk today with this person. And, but uh, you know, I, I, I find as long as I'm authentic with what I'm trying to achieve, they go well.
1: I read one case study in healthcare industry that it is about creating that shared meaning. So in that difficult, tough conversation, if we can remind ourselves about the goal, about the meaning that we are trying to achieve out of this conversation, so that might help.
0: Yes, exactly. Whether it's, you know, healthcare, you know, caregiver to caregiver, caregiver to patient. I think that's so critical at times when caregivers are working with patients to, to get to that shared meaning, which is, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm in service of your health and, 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 and I understand you are too. And, and after you get to that, then you can have those challenging conversations around, all right, how are we going to work on, oh, you know, your weight or your smoking or, you know, your diabetes have and, and the habits around it, you know, but, but, you know, to join the patient in and to find that shared goal, that is, I think that's critical for a lot of the relationships
1: in healthcare. In healthcare, we say that healthcare is saving lives, which is 100% true. And in that case, the workers have that purpose that we are going to our work to save lives. Christy, I want to ask you, how do we cultivate our purpose and calling if we are not working in healthcare, if we are working in tech If you're working in in any other sector where we don't have a tangible meaning, we don't see that purpose. So, How do we cultivate that calling and purpose in our job? Mm.
0: You know, I I think that the calling and the purpose in healthcare can at times be a a little bit of a double-edged sword. I mean, look at what is it. Yes, we are so fortunate to leverage that and to lean on that. And then at times it can go too far meaning you know look at what's happening right now with healthcare i'm i'm feeling heavy these days around our our caregivers and you know as we enter into a third wave of covid and and then the vaccination implementation and all that is on their shoulders and i think sometimes we can overcook that, 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 that meaning and that purpose when we really have to come up with some tangible kind of operational fixes, we have to look at things completely different for them. So I think most of the time, it's a wonderful thing. I think this year, we've seen far too much be placed on the shoulders of our caregivers. So I, I just want to start by sharing that. But I think in other industries, you're right. That's, you know, how do we get them, you know, connected to their purpose and make it meaningful? And, you know, I think that for some, they, you know, it's it's about making it relevant to, you know, the impact that they're having. If you're working in, in banking or financial services, you know, you're helping people, you know, have good lives by, you know, managing their finances. And that's a huge source of well-being. You know, I think it's organizations who can cultivate a culture of, of purpose, even if the purpose is around that community right? I mean, that is one of the, the, I call an activator of organization resilience is, is fostering a sense of community within an organization. And so, you know, you think of, you know, the auto, the, the auto industry, it's a great example, such a sense of purpose. And it's really about, you know, keeping things going, the legacy of, of automobiles and, and manufacturing and, and the, the, roots of family and and all of that and you know you might say well we're making cars but for them it's i you know they are an industry that's deeply connected to purpose so i, I think it's about being intentional i think it's about set, creating a sense of community and i think that it's also about influential leadership and if yes. you have leaders who can you know really you know who are who are just wonderful at creating meaning it, it, and, 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 and showing the value of each individual. I, I just don't think it's, it's something that everyone can achieve. But again, I think, I think community and leadership are, are key activators of it.
1: Yes, I, I love that you talk about influential leadership. And I can give you my example that I worked in tech industry for more than 10 years. I've never seen any leader talking about the purpose, of why we are doing this work. You come to a job, you just do your task. Nobody is told about the purpose. People have huge passion for their work, but nobody is told about the purpose. And there are many cases, studies, where it is shown that through numbers, when you have a higher purpose, even if you don't have much passion, but you are high on purpose, your productivity is so mm-hmm. much higher.
0: Oh, you're so right. So this was really, I mean, I'm, I'm really passionate about this subject of, you know, how do you create, and I call it, you know, resilient organizations. And I, you know, and again, I think that needs to be across all industries, because there's human beings inside of those organizations who are trying to have uh, the best go of it that they can, and and uh, so I understand what you're saying. You know, working in tech, I actually just joined a tech company myself, and I, 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 I can see a little bit what you're saying. And I've been I've been trying to bring in the the meaning and the purpose, and 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 people are responding and reacting to it. But I think resilient organizations, you know, there's there's just you know, it starts with focusing on well being and and letting your you know whatever industry it is know that hey, we care about your lives. You know, this isn't just about, you know, the productivity and all that will all come. But if you care about people's lives and if you show them that and if you foster a culture of well-being, that will drive performance, performance in life, performance at work, you know, in in every aspect. And uh, I really think there's a calling on leaders and organizations to have a much deeper focus on this, and you know this this idea that we're going to you know get more by kind of beating it out of people or just being task saturated. I I, I, I feel like we're moving in a good direction where people are really focused on well being in their workplaces, and it's becoming. You know, just there's just a lot of great discussion going on and you just see signals across all industries that people are are focused on this. They understand that if people aren't well, if people aren't healthy, they can't perform. And again, perform in life, perform at work. So I, I think there's there's um that realization is coming to fruition and it's exciting to watch.
1: What would you recommend to an organization leader to instill resiliency in their team and in their industry
0: i think that it starts with that focus that center of of personal well-being and identifying you know what 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 are we doing to cultivate a culture of well-being here you know, what are we doing to support people? What are we doing to honor people's lives? Everything from, you know, the benefits that are offered to, you know, just sort of how do we how do we start meetings? Do we, you know, do we have a focus on well-being in our culture? Johnson & Johnson does a fantastic job of this where they've really made well-being such a centerpiece of everything that they do there. To the point that leaders are actually sort of recognized for how they uh, support their team and their health and well-being, which I think is fantastic. But I think you've got to think about well-being, and I think you've got to think about it broadly. I think you've got to think about stress reduction. That is something that everyone is, is struggling with. I don't care what industry you're in. We as a society struggle with stress. So going into maybe what might seem to be uncomfortable, things like stress reduction, meditation. You know, I know when I was at Novant Health, I was on a mission to bring the the new film, the mindfulness movement to the organization. So it'd be like an organizational film watch, right? And then we could have discussions and it could be our our entryway into becoming an organization that that meditates. So I think they first have to start with just that really strong focus on well being, and then I think you go into some of the things I was just talking about the the activators of well being. You you can't make me well or have all these programs for me, but then put me in an environment that doesn't support that. So again, how do you foster community? How do you really ensure operational efficiency? Because that's such a frustration. And then how do you cultivate influential leadership? And, and you know, my, and again, this is just my, my theory, but if you're doing the personal well-being and then activating those three different indicators, community, operational efficiency, and influential leadership, I, I, you will, I, I believe you're on your way to a resilient organization and to a healthy organization and to a high-performing organization.
1: I would love to ask you about a resilient organization more in a bit and before that I want to ask you how do you personally deal with stress and whenever you feel high or heavy not high heavy <laughs> 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 how do you manage your stress and what's your personal resiliency model look like
0: so here's where, you know, I am, I'm like the, the cheerleader for it, for others. And I, I, am not that great at, at doing it for myself, but there are a couple of things that I, I do. So I, 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 I practice meditation, not, not I'm not, I'm not good at it. <laughs> I, mean, I, I struggle and I've listened to some of your guests and I'm like, wow, they just sound so so, you know, they just the practices that people have. I'm in awe of, and I, I I struggle a bit, but I do. You know, try to meditate daily. I also really focus on presence. So this was a, a really big um, learning for me in the last few years around really being present in my day and attuned to what's happening in in, in the now and being in the now you know, I I I had the opportunity to work with Dr. Tom Jennicky at Novant Health and we and he just he just you know talked about presence in a way that no one had talked to me about it before in that way and basically just said you know and and this is what we taught our caregivers there was you know presence is really you know being in the now and now is the only thing that's really real this moment. You know, the thoughts I have going in my head about what happened yesterday, it's not real. It's in the past, what I might be anticipating, the, you know, the next few hours to be or the next few weeks, it's not real. They're just thoughts in my head. And so when I started to get grounded in the now being real, it was, ai would say, a game changer for me. So I, I don't, and, and that, and attun- and focusing on the now has become easier for me. And so I just, I think in general, in the last few years, I've gotten better, better at that. But then there's things like, you know, I I definitely, you know, working out and exercising is critical for me in terms of managing stress. And, you know, whether that's a little yoga or, you know, pairing that with some crazy orange theory workout, but but getting that I'm a very <laughs> physical person and I just need that kind of release. So, yeah, those are just a few of the things that, that, that help me to stay uh, grounded.
1: How often do you physically work out in a week?
0: A lot. I mean, I'm physical most days. I actually, whether it's a walk. I live in a beautiful neighborhood with trees, and you know, so being with nature is critical. So, whether it's a walk or this, you know, a, a brief yoga, I'd say at least five days a week, I'm doing something. You know, I started my earlier. It, I was a dancer when I was young, and I think that that just primed me to always have a a need for a physical release. So I'm I'm thankful for that, for those early experiences, because it's just a uh, it's just a practice I've always had, which is, you know, doing something physical.
1: I'm looking at my notes right now. And earlier, you mentioned about self-awareness, that you are self-aware. How have you cultivated this practice of self-awareness?
0: You know, I think that there's a couple things that have helped me. And again, I think it's from going earlier in life, sort of just feeling a bit out of control, uh, especially in my teenage years and early 20s, just not, I I wasn't self-aware. I was constantly reacting. My emotions were just, you know, jerking me around all the time. Right. And I, I just, I had to, I had to stop that. And so I really, you know, got into a practice of therapy, which was great. And I, I just learned to really always be, you know, thinking about my part in things, thinking about, you know, how I might be telling myself stories that aren't true, which I did a lot. And I learned to to challenge those stories. Remember any story? Oh gosh. I mean I've I've told myself stories for you know, everyone's against me. I they're out to get me. <laughs> you know, you know, just a lot of I'm not good enough. Oh, lots of I'm not good enough. That's that's like you know, decades of stories around that. So it just just really, the, you know, being in situations and just you know, coming up with conclusions around how either I'm not good enough or people aren't accepting me or whatever it might be. And I really had to break through that uh, and say, you know, none of that is is true. It's 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 based on, you know, some some earlier experiences. And I had to become really good at, at just. And and what I what I did was I journaled and journaling helped me to sort of, you know, really get the facts out, if you will, and to to quiet this 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 storytelling head of mine that I had. And and so I, I think that was one, you know, one really, really important moment for me was when I started journaling and just starting to poke on those stories. I was telling myself at you know, what
1: age did you start journaling?
0: So I have to give, I, I started when I was at University of Minnesota and I had a wonderful friend named Yana and she uh, and I would mountain bike together and she was a wonderful journaler and she had the most beautiful handwriting in the most beautiful journals. And I just would see her writing all the time. And I, 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 I just started to do it. Now I did not have the most beautiful handwriting and I couldn't draw the beautiful pictures and I couldn't do all that, but I found <laughs> that, me. yeah, I just couldn't do any of that, but I found that it it was a place for me to just check myself and to make sure that I was creating more positive conditions than I was perhaps creating conditions that, you know, added to this narrative of suffering that I had in my life. And so I, I, I it started, you know, there. And I think it, it really, I think it, it really started to, I really started to recognize how important this was when I read the book Flourish by Martin Seligman and. I think that was published in ninety eight ninety nine and it was just all about you know the goal in life is to not relieve suffering but rather to raise the bar for the human condition and that just that book just really shifted me and i so i i i it it helped me to have a more positive story, right it helped me mm-hmm. to, just, to just have a much more you know it's not all about doom and gloom and people rejecting you and blah blah it's about the conditions i'm creating for myself and and, pr- and and hope and pride and courage and those i just gravitated towards those conditions versus maybe some of the ones i more negative ones i had previously
1: christy i am practicing being a good listener and i heard you saying something about suffering in your early days could you talk to us about that
0: <laughs> yeah yeah so i think what i i just you know I, I i was my you know my parents divorced and my my father really just left when i was around 5 and i think that that type of experience in a child's life, it, it, you know, for me, it just, it just, it none of it made sense. I mean, that's right. I mean, it's just, it doesn't make sense. I have this father, he's somewhere, he's not here. He doesn't want to talk to me. He doesn't want to be with us. What, you know, and, and, and I think that I, I, I've, I've, you know, I've, I have it in perspective now. I know there are much worse conditions people grow up in. But for me, you know, I've also learned to say pain is pain, and uh, you have to honor the, the pain you have. And, you know, so it's just a very, it was just a turbulent time. And we, we struggled, we struggled with, you know, finances, and we moved a lot, and, you know, had a couple of stepfathers in there. And it just you know as someone growing up who i think naturally wanted to be successful wanted to be happy the conditions were difficult in my in my earlier years to to see that or to achieve that
1: how did you feel growing up without mm. the presence of father
0: yeah i felt different i felt different i felt shameful i was ashamed i felt Boy, I felt—I mean, just a, a a loss, you know. And I'd see kids with their dads, and I'm like, "Wow, I don't, I don't have that relationship." So it it was really deep. It, it was really, really a hard thing. I and I I always feel for kids when I hear that that's their situation, and and that's a lot of what I worked with also when I was in conducting therapy with teenagers and and adolescents. So it was, you know, and 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 so you have those deep feelings when you're in those. Very formative years, and it 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 can you know you're gonna do one of two things. you're either gonna to succumb to them and live a life wrapped up in that blanket or you're gonna you're gonna find a way to push through and to say nope i'm i'm I am going to figure this out." and so I just started watching people. I started watching people that i seemed happy and successful and I started following their their patterns and did the things they did and you know just really have, now have a lot of gratitude for for the adversity I went through when I was young because it 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 fueled me and it and now I am I'm I'm thankful for the the drive it gave me the passion it gave me I have, a lot of gratitude for my life. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's settled into place for sure. But But in those years, it was, you know, obviously really challenging.
1: Would you mind if I ask you one more question on this topic? Sure. Did you have any resentment or any psychological issues around your dad that he isn't there or anything related to that?
0: Oh my goodness. Yes. I mean, I, 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 yes. I mean, you, you grew up without that. It's such a formative year, formative time. And you just, you just, you, I think it just tends to kind of make someone feel, I mean, I think it, 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 it spiraled me into a place of feeling very anxious uh, I think it spiraled me into a place of opposition. I think I probably was, you know, could have been diagnosed as, you know, oppositional um, defiant disorder when I was a teenager. I I, I did not follow the rules, and uh, I think it, you know, just at times, just kind of a low-grade depression, you know, you know, just around it. So it it did. I mean, it it left its mark. But the the gr- the great part of the story is that I was able to you know, you know, stop that focus on the suffering and work through those feelings and find self-love. And that's really the goal, right? When you have a a rejection like that in your life, the goal is to amplify your self-love and, and gratitude for your life. And so, and I'm just, you know, I'm very proud of myself for, for working, for working through those, those circumstances. So it's, it's kind of led me to have this belief, like, you know, if I got through that, I can, I can get through a lot of things in life.
1: Thank you so much, Christy, for explaining your story. And I am compelled to ask you all these things because this is my story, a real mm. exact story from childhood days. I've never shared this on air, but I'm feeling compelled to share this, that my dad was there, but mm-hmm. there was no emotional connection. I, mm-hmm. I don't remember in my 33 years of my life sitting with my dad one-on-one and talking. Because he wasn't there emotionally, and I resented that thing for the first 27 years of my life. And about six years ago, when I started releasing that resentment, when I literally forgave everything because mm-hmm. he didn't know what he didn't know, it all comes down from generations to generations. And when I started forgiving him and others in my life, then all the abundance everything has started flowing and I'm having this fortune right now to do this podcast with you.
0: I'm so glad you just shared that. Yes. I think there's the physical absence of a parent and then the emotional absence of the parent and, and they're, they're both <sighs> equally. I, I just appreciate that we have that shared experience because you just, it's, it's just, it's, I think it's a foundation for life in terms of confidence, in terms of understanding the The importance of relationships to feel that acceptance, and if you don't get that, you can be lost. Yes,
1: and, and low grade depression. I was always a depressed child. I, I I never, I can never recollect when I was happy or I was fun. Now my I want I live my life for fun. Mm-hmm. I never remembered when I had fun or when I was happy. So I can understand you what you're saying that low grade depression that you are just a depressed kid.
0: Did you feel different from others also? Did you feel Every a little... Every time,
1: like judged, yeah. Yeah. not yeah. acceptance, yeah, no yeah. self-love. I remember when I was in high school, I've never shared this any with anybody on the podcast, but I'm doing it. When I was in high school, I was 15. And in the lunchtime, I used to go to one corner in the playground so that nobody watches me, what I'm eating, so that I don't feel judged just because of... Not feeling judged. I used to run away from other kids so that I don't feel judged what I am eating, what I'm wearing, where I belong to. So all these stresses, all these judgments really start to happen from our early childhood days.
0: Absolutely. And then you It's like at that during that time, it's it's like high definition, right? I mean, because all of these feelings are so big. And again, the stories we're telling ourselves. I mean, I can imagine the stories you were telling yourself, you know, and and about yourself. And then you think, okay, after we get through adolescence, we kind of have to get our life together and figure out, you know, what our deeper purpose is. And if I'm not, you know, if I'm telling myself all these awful stories about myself and about the world, it's really hard to make good choices. So I I see you as a a survivor and as someone who, who really had to, to, to find a path out of that. And I, I just honor you for it. And, and I put, you know, myself in that category too. And so that's where I say, I, I have gratitude because I don't know that I would be who I am if I didn't go through that. And, and bitterness only, you know, it, it doesn't hurt anybody else, but the person who is holding it and uh, so yes i've I've gone through the forgiveness also, and that's and it was very, very appealing and good for me.
1: Christy, you seem to me someone who does a lot of good work for others. You are always there to help others. How do you ask for help when you are in need of anything?
0: Oh goodness. I'm awful at that. That's something I need to work on. I, I am someone that you would be, have you heard the term lone wolf?
1: Yes, I used to be that. <laughs> I'm a lone wolf.
0: So I, I got this. That's my uh, success model. My my inner, you know, I've, I've got this. And so, and again, why do I do that? Because earlier in life, that's how I got out of my bad situation was I'm going to make, I, I, I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to, you know, get through this. So I've I and so that has served me well in many regards but now it's not and so I have to get better at asking for help. I I I mean I definitely will give myself a lot of I'm I'm an introvert. People would never believe that if you met me but I'm I'm an, I'm one of those I seem extroverted but I'm really an introvert. So I give myself time alone which is really restorative for me but asking for help is hard for me, and I often find that when I do i'm almost self deprecating like oh thank you. you know I just overdo the the gratitude like oh thank you i'm just so that's kind of a, a a next chapter of work for me is to just be a little bit more comfortable asking for help when I need it and because i i'll just I'll just kind of do what needs to be done, so that is something I have to work on are you are you better at that? Do you have any tips for that
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, have, I would say that in the last two years i have practiced asking for help i I used to be lone wolf because it is started from your childhood days that you want to prove to others you want to be successful you don't want to have help from others but i realized that if you want to go big in life if you want to do big things you cannot do it on your own you need support you need a community if you did not say yes to me for this podcast I would not be having this conversation with you. You are helping me. So asking for help. And when we ask for help, we let go of that fear of failure, fear of judgment. Sometimes I used to feel fear of failure. Mm -hmm. If I ask for help, what if somebody says no? Yes, it is okay if somebody is saying no. They are not saying no to you. They are saying no to the possibility. They are not just seeing any possibility in that purpose. I think reminding myself that nobody can reject me or nobody can accept me. I am wholehearted. I'm whole being. So if I ask for help and if somebody says no, that is okay. They are not rejecting me. They are just not seeing the possibility in that. That's all. And maybe another reframe is that they are saying no now but not forever Mm. what if we try again and ask for help i love that well christy i wish we had more time and (laughs) i would love to continue the conversation
0: it went so fast i i just loved it thank you for allowing me to to chat with you and thanks for sharing some of your story i i loved it
1: yeah and before before we finish our conversation I would love to ask you where can our listeners find you find your work anything that you want to share anything this is your ground Uh ground.
0: so you know I um I'm I'm I do a lot I I publish a lot on um, LinkedIn and talk about the pain points in healthcare right now. I, I work for a company called Medallia and we are all about listening and elevating and amplifying listening of caregivers and patients and helping organizations to, you know, uh, you know, improve the situation. So, you know, for those, for those folks. So, you know, I just I'm I'm not a big published researcher. I I don't have books, but I I talk a lot to the LinkedIn community. I love it. And so if anyone wants to see what I'm saying and see what I'm thinking about, feel free to, to reach out there.
1: Thank you so much, Christy. It was an amazing, wonderful conversation with you. I love that.
0: Thank you. This was
1: really special. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode today. If you did enjoy this, please subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or you can visit hdps colon slash, slash nishantgarg.me and dot me. You can also share this episode with your loved ones to help them live a fulfilled life. You are not alone in this journey. We all struggle in life. There is no shame in talking about it. I go through my highs and lows. I get depressed and these practices help me in living a resilient life. You can also do this. You've got this. Don't judge yourself. You are doing the best you can and thank you so much again